This morning we are in Proverbs chapter 8. As we continue our study of this book, if you have one of the church Bibles, it's on page 499. And there's an outline in the bulletin that you can use to follow along. Someone recently asked me to pray for a relative of theirs who was in an accident, a serious accident, but refused to seek medical care. And I was happy to pray, and it also struck me that our society is a lot like that person. At times, it seems our nation experiences one train wreck after another, but refuses to fix the tracks or embrace a solution. Two recent stories that I've heard in the news are illustrative. The first is that our nation promotes tolerance in severe opposition to hate speech. But we want to be tolerant. And yet when the trophy for a women's swimming championship is handed to a biological man, the young woman who came in second dares to patiently and respectfully observe what just happened. And she observes the irony and she seeks fair treatment for women in athletics and she receives not tolerance or understanding, but death threats. The second story, in November there was a shooting in a gay club in Colorado Springs and five people who were made in the image of God were tragically murdered by a deviant produced by a broken family. And the community did not then rise up to promote healthy families that we might prevent this kind of thing from happening. No, instead, vandals assaulted the offices of the nearby ministry Focus on the Family, and they spray-painted the property sign with the words, Their blood is on your hands. The very organization where a solution could be found was blamed for this tragedy. Now, there are some brave souls who are willing to proclaim the remedy for what ails our society, but at times it seems like society just loves its ailments and won't let them go. Friends, we need what only God's wisdom can offer. This morning in our study of the book of Proverbs, we'll see that God's wisdom offers us the very life we most desperately need. And as you can see on your outline, this poem teaches that wisdom is available and profitable and credible. And yet some people love death too much to bother listening. And so the poem will end by exhorting us to be receptive. Will you have the courage to stand up and do something different and find life? Let me pray again for our time in God's word as we prepare to dive into it. Our Father in heaven, Lord, please open our eyes 
and our ears that we might see and hear wonderful things in your word. And Lord, please open our hearts that we might receive the wisdom you have for us, that we might not love death, but we would stop loving it and we would turn to love you, you who are life. I pray that you would bless our time now in Jesus' name, amen. The first thing we'll see in our text is wisdom's availability. This is in verses 1 through 11 of Proverbs chapter 8. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels. And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. You and I need what only wisdom can deliver. And brothers and sisters, wisdom is available to you, to me, to our neighbors and our co-workers, our fellow students, our children, and our political leaders. Now, sometimes people suffer in ways they have no control over. Earthquakes displace people from their homes, and hurricanes destroy property, and prejudice or oppression reduce the unsuspecting to poverty. Such situations require the compassion of Jesus and the lavish generosity of God's people toward those in need. But... There are other times, many other times, when our suffering is a direct result of our foolish choices. A reckless driver does 90 on the highway and loses control of the vehicle. A hedonist lives only for what feels good and loses the ability to be close to anybody. A society attempts to do business without founding itself on the creator God. And so it loses its moral center such that anything now goes, as long as it's part of your personal identity. And when folly abounds, perhaps the best response we could make to it is simply the reminder of verse 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? We're told that personified wisdom stands at the crossroads in verse 2 by the gates of the city in verse 3. You see, she is not in a dark 
alley. She is not in a basement bunker that requires code clearance for entry. She's right out in the midst of society, on the highest places, calling out, proclaiming truth. And then starting in verse 4, we have wisdom's own speech, which will go all the way down to the end of the chapter. And the first part of it here that I read is a simple reminder that wisdom has always been here. She's been right with us, calling out and offering her help. Just like someone simply observing the fact that the women's swimming champion is not a woman. A society's failure to walk in wisdom is not a failure of wisdom to speak. It is a failure of us to listen. In verse 4, she cries out not only to God's people, but to all of humanity. To you, O men, I cry. I call. Verse 5 shows us that it's okay if you are simple, which means you're inexperienced in life. You're not yet where you would like to be in maturity. She calls out to the simple ones. There's no need to be bashful. Wisdom can teach you prudence and sense. Wisdom will never let you down. Wisdom will never twist the facts. Wisdom will never spin the situation to control the masses. No, verse 6 says that her words are right. In verse 7, she speaks only truth. In verse 8, she never twists or perverts reality. And what she's laying down is far more valuable than what you will ever find in an investment profile. Verses 10 and 11. This is better than silver and gold. Wisdom's availability in this chapter, it's not a new idea in the book of Proverbs. This, this opening stanza actually sounds a lot like the last section of chapter 1, which made this same point. She's available. She's right there. She's calling out. Chapter 8, we'll see this as we work through the chapter. This chapter summarizes and pulls together everything we've learned so far in this first part of the book of Proverbs. So, This is not the last time the concepts will sound familiar, but the fact that God chose to repeat these things means that we need to consider them more than once as we work through the book. So when you see a sign over a public restroom that communicates gender confusion, you ought to ask someone, does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? When someone refuses to acknowledge the effect of historic racism on contemporary race relations, you ought to ask, does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? When some new initiative to combat racism treats whiteness as being itself a sin that must be repented of, you ought to ask, does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise its voice? And when your child's school says you're not allowed to talk about God there, but gee, why are these kids so angry and depressed these days? You ought to ask, 
Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? In 2023, wisdom is calling out to you, to me, to everyone. There is a God who created all things by speaking them into existence. He is Lord of all. But we tried to take his place. So in response, he came and took our place, dying the death that we deserved. He rose from the dead to complete the job, and now he invites every one of us back into his family with assurances of lavish reward, including joy, righteousness, and the possibility of world peace. Wisdom calls to us, friends. And our problem is not that life is not available to us. Our problem is that we normally don't want it. You and I need what only wisdom can deliver. And sometimes we don't trust wisdom, do we? But are you perhaps wondering whether this is for real? Or or whether I'm for real? I mean, does anybody really believe this stuff anymore? Okay, Kroll, you say that wisdom promises joy, righteousness, and the possibility of world peace? But aren't Christians usually the ones with the least joy in life? They're the ones with all the rules, right? They're the ones who focus on all the things you're not allowed to do and they attack people they disagree with. Well, in case you have any fear that listening to God's wisdom might ruin your fun and diminish your joy, just keep reading to see what wisdom offers next. Listen to her profitability in verses 12 through 21. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me, and filling their treasuries. Friends, you and I need what only wisdom can deliver. So in this stanza, wisdom highlights her own profitability. In other words, what does she really have to offer us? Have you ever had one of those teachers, the kind of teacher who, who teaches not merely as a career, but as a passion? 
Not the person who knows the curriculum, who's published a few things in order to advance themselves, but the teacher who has such visible delight in their subject that you can ask them anything about any part of the material and they could go off for the rest of the class period about it. This is the sort of teacher whose joy is infectious because they show you not only how wonderful the subject matter is, but also how applicable it is to real life. Well, that's wisdom. That's what wisdom is doing here. In verse 10, she, uh, pardon me, verse 12, she dwells with prudence. She finds knowledge and discretion. In other words, she knows what she is talking about. She has access to the depths of the mysteries of the universe and she can let you in on all the juiciest secrets. Do you need counsel or sound wisdom for some difficult decision or other? Well, verse 14 says, she has it. She's got it. Counsel, sound wisdom, insight, and strength. Do you want justice in the public sphere? Do you want people to not only talk about justice, but actually do it? Well, then verse 15 says we need kings. And verse 16 says we need princes who rule by God's wisdom. Because with wisdom is true justice. What wisdom says here is very similar to what what was told us in chapter 3 of Proverbs. Again, these concepts are being repeated for us. It's another thing we need to reflect on and hear again. That verse 18, she offers riches and honor, which are more valuable, verse 19, than silver and gold. So when she promises you riches, don't get it wrong what she's talking about. Her riches cannot be measured in dollars or in Bitcoin because they can never be stolen by hackers or lost in a recession. Her riches include, verse 20, righteousness. And again, justice. What is there not to like about what wisdom wants to profit you with? Would you like a peace that can never be broken? Would you like a friend who will never stab you in the back? Would you like a treasure that can't be misplaced? Would you like a justice that works to make everything right and that treats everyone fairly? You will find these things with God's wisdom. There is much to profit from here. However, there is a catch. You can't gain all these rewards from wisdom by being indifferent. You can't just hop aboard the secret master plan, get your share, and get out. No, this will affect you deeply and personally. It will affect your very affections. In order to get these riches, you must, according to verse 13, hate evil. And according to verse 17, you must love wisdom. This is what it means to fear the Lord, which is uh, brought up in verse 13. And was mentioned in in chapter 1, verse 7, as the beginning of knowledge. 
Fearing the Lord means to hate evil, to love wisdom, to receive it from God. See, the world wants us to love love because love is love. That's what they say. But the Bible says that when people of, for example, people of the same sex engage in sexual activity, it is an abomination to God. It is something that God hates. And when the culture wishes to recognize civil unions for such behavior, what they've got is not a marriage, but a mirage. And friends, hating such evil like God hates it does not mean that we are supposed to abuse or dehumanize those who practice it. So please do not get me wrong on this. There are people in this room who have struggled and continue to struggle with same-sex attraction, either in the past or still in the present. Such a struggle is a real thing. And I'm so glad that you are here and that you are seeking the Lord. The Lord really wants all of us sinners to join his family. But to do so, we must call evil what it is so that we might set it aside in favor of the wisdom of God. That's why speaking of homosexuality, among other sins like greed and idolatry, the Apostle Paul says, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's 1 Corinthians 6, 11. Wisdom has great profit, showing us how the Creator intended life to work best so that we could live in accordance with His patterns and His principles and it would go well for us. Friends, you and I need what only wisdom can deliver. Jesus Christ died so we could experience such life. But even as I list these truths of God found in the Bible, could some of you be tempted to tune me out? Perhaps saying to yourself, oh boy, here we go again. Here's the Christian solution to everything. You're starting to talk about Jesus. Just throw Jesus all over it and expect everything to change. It's so medieval. It's so uneducated. It's so unaware of reality. And in case you are wondering whether such stark promises as we find here are simply empty sentiments, wisdom continues in this poem to back up her promises with her own CV. She lists her credentials in the next section that give her the right and the clout to say what she is saying. This is verses 22 through 31. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth, before he had made the earth with its fields or the first dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. 
when he drew a circle in the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. Friends, you and I need what only wisdom can deliver. So if we're going to bank everything on what wisdom has to offer, she better be able to make good on her promises. That's why we're talking about her credibility here in this third point. And in this stanza, she goes back to the very beginning. She describes the beginning of the Lord's work in verse 22, which is a reference back to Genesis 1, where God created the universe in the beginning. And she talks about, verse 24, the depths of water, and in 25, the shaping of mountains and hills, the the earth sprouting in verse 26, vegetation in its fields. 27 and 28, she talks about the skies being above being fixed in place, and then in 29, the sea being set in its own place. And wisdom says some crazy things in this poem. Verse 30, she says that she was there with God when all this creating took place. But even more than that, in verse 23, she says that wisdom was set up or established before the beginning. So all that creating happened in the beginning, but she was established before the beginning. So wisdom was present with God the Father even before he began creating the heavens and the earth. And then wisdom in this poem, was frolicking with God in the act of creation. She was delighting in all the wonders of jungles and wetlands and blobfish and echidnas and frill-necked lizards. Wisdom was delighting in the northern lights and in the polar ice caps. Wisdom was just tickled pink by asteroids and galaxies, by nebulas and neutron stars and though she was fascinated and delighted by all of those things verse 31 tells us that her chiefest of delights was the children of man the peak of god's creation the ones to whom god delegated rule over the earth and its creatures so friends here are wisdom's credentials she was there before creation she was there during the act of creation she was participating in the creation she was really good at creating verse 30 calls her a master workman and she just loved doing the act of creating Now, if you buy an appliance and you fail to follow the maintenance instructions, what does that do to the manufacturer's warranty? It voids it, right? That's because the creator of the appliance 
knows best how the thing is supposed to work. If you don't follow the instructions, he can't help you with it. In a sense, it's similar with wisdom. She knows best how the world is supposed to work. And she says that to acquire what she can deliver, to cash in on our warranty on life, we have to love her and hate evil. So if instead, if we love evil and we hate wisdom, we void the warranty. We forfeit all the riches available to us. That's because of wisdom's credentials. Now, that's not the end of the story. We're going to get to the end of the story in a moment. But wisdom is not only present in the creation. She is, in fact, a metaphor here of the creator himself. She is the master workman doing this work. That is why many in the history of the Christian church have seen wisdom in this chapter as a picture and a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is himself, according to Hebrews 1, the image of the invisible God and the heir of all creation, the one, according to John 1, by whom all things were made. The one who was with God before the beginning because he himself is God. And she pictures him. Now this can get confusing because in Proverbs, wisdom is a she and Jesus is obviously a he. That's just because in the Hebrew language, the word wisdom is a feminine noun. It's the way the language works. So when wisdom gets personified, it's personified as a woman. Now, I'm not saying that every detail here about wisdom in this chapter is a direct prophecy about Jesus. And that's why this can get confusing, because there are cults who will take that idea and say, well, look, if this is Jesus, look at, look at what this says. We can say that King David in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of Jesus, and that does not mean that Jesus is an adulterer and a murderer like David was. Okay, it doesn't mean that. So also we can say that wisdom is a foreshadowing of Jesus, but that does not mean that Jesus was brought forth into existence or anything of that sort, like verse 24 and 25 says. The point of all this is to say that when you find true wisdom, it works because by finding wisdom, you have found the Lord Jesus Christ the creator of all things, the king of heaven and earth, the one who can deliver on every one of his promises. To seek God's wisdom is to seek Jesus. To seek Jesus is to seek God's wisdom. What that means is to seek wisdom while rejecting Jesus Christ is to pursue a counterfeit, a fake wisdom, a cracked bucket that can hold no water, an online pre-order that never arrives. Friends, you and I need what only wisdom can deliver. And why can wisdom deliver? It's because Jesus is available, because Jesus is profitable, and because Jesus is credible. And that leaves us now with the most important application of this passage, which is, what will you and I do about this? Does not wisdom call? 
And does not understanding raise her voice? Of course she does. But will we listen? The jury's out on that one. And that takes us to the end of the poem, which is all about our receptivity. Starting verse 32. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Friends, you and I need what only wisdom can deliver. So let me break this down real simple. What does wisdom want you and me to do? Verse 32, listen to her. Verse 33, hear her instruction and do not neglect it. And in the Bible, to hear is to obey. They're actually the same Hebrew word. That's it. Will you listen? Will you obey? Will I listen? Will I obey? And what will happen if we do, in fact, listen and obey? Verse 32 says, Blessed are those who keep my ways. Verse 34, Blessed is the one who listens to me. Friends, those who listen to wisdom and obey will be blessed by God. It will go well for them. If not always now, then without fail in the next world that has no end. So will you listen? Will you obey? Will I listen? Will I obey? And why does listening to wisdom grant a blessing? It's because in verse 35, to find wisdom is to find life. In verse 36, to fail to find wisdom is to hate wisdom and to love death. There's not a middle ground. Does this not, this last verse, does this not describe countless multitudes who walk planet Earth this very day that they love death and they won't make the changes necessary to find life? May this not ever be said of the people of Grace Fellowship Church of State College that they loved death too much to bother finding wisdom and so obtain favor from the Lord. So will you listen? Will you obey? Will I listen? Will I obey? There was a moment during Jesus' time on earth when he showed a few of his closest followers something close to the full extent of his life and his glory and his favor with God the Father. It happened on a mountaintop 
with a bright light and a thick cloud and the reappearance of two long dead prophets, the greatest prophets in Israel's history, Moses and Elijah. We call this event the transfiguration because Jesus' own body and clothes were changed or transfigured to give just a glimpse of the reality of his divine power and identity. And during that event, the voice of God the Father spoke from heaven, declaring his supreme favor toward his Son. He said, this one is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So friends, please make no mistake, if you find this Jesus, you cannot go wrong. But God said one more thing that day. In light of the favor and the glory of his Son, he issued only one command to humanity. After telling the world that that this Jesus is the very son he loves, that he was very pleased with him, God then said this, as though it came right out of Proverbs chapter 8. Listen to him. Friends, you and I desperately need what only Jesus can deliver. Will you listen to him? Will I? Let's pray and ask God's help. Our Father in heaven, you are the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son with whom you are very pleased. And Jesus is able to fix everything that's gone wrong. He is able to bring righteousness and justice If we will only listen and obey, please help us, please empower us, please strengthen us by your grace. Lord, this cannot come from within us, it can only come from outside. And please grant us your spirit that we might walk with you and so see not only our lives change, but also we might see our world change as well. Please help us and rescue us. We long for your kingdom where righteousness dwells. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.